I bring you greetings in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we have gathered together this evening to worship Him, to fellowship with one another, and to meditate God's holy word. I consider this a great privilege to be associated with the life and ministry of this Bread of Life Fellowship for over three decades. I remember how it had a very humble beginning. I joined the psalmist to say, Blessed be the Lord who has remembered us in our low state. His mercy endures forever. Amen. Now, the theme that is given to us uh, for this particular 30th anniversary celebrations is the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ. As most of you would have attended, the first two talks were given by Pastor Sabi, and that was titled as the Church in the Early Days. Now, today and tomorrow, I would be speaking on the church that is today, and following me, Pastor Adepe would also speak on the same title, on the same theme. And the last two talks would be by Pastor Buzola, and that's about the church in the future. So this is a beautifully laid out pattern. The church of yesterday, the church of today, and the church that would be tomorrow. So I believe this gives us a beautiful tapestry for understanding God's plan and purpose that he need, wants to fulfill on this planet Earth through the church, which is the body of Christ. The portion that is given to me is Book of Revelation, second chapter. Keep your Bibles open to Book of Revelation, second chapter. It is necessary that you turn to all the Bible references because you must see for yourself whether things are so. Now, in this second chapter, we come across the four of the seven churches addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. The seven churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, these seven churches are mentioned in the order in which a messenger would travel in the clockwise route. We may sometimes wonder why and what about this order. Now, that would be the logical route in the clockwise order to take a message, and this is a message. Now, concerning the book of Revelation, there are three basic views or three types of interpretation. I'm not going to get into all the technical details of this book, but this much of information is necessary serve as an introduction for what I'm going to bring you up to. The three views, one view, these seven messages refer to just to these seven churches which existed in John's time. The second view is that these seven churches represent all the churches in church history, beginning with the first century until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the third view, it represents the conditions of the church that is today. I believe in all these three views. 
because there is room to interpret this particular mysterious book from all these three angles, three points of view, and together they make a real good sense of interpretation. Because we all know that the Bible is for all times. It's not only for what was written or sent to the churches in the time of John. They are also for the entire church history, and that is also for the church of tomorrow. Now, the talks are titled, as given by your leaders, as exploits and challenges of the church today. Now, I want you to remember the Lord's message to each church is also meant for all the churches. Suppose Jesus was writing the letter to the church in Ephesus. At the end of that letter, you know what we read? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So while you are writing to the Laurasian church, it's a single church, but the end of that message would be, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we must understand that even though that there was some specific aspect that was addressed concerning the life and activity of each church, this is holding good for all the churches. Now, when you look at these seven churches, I would like to divide them into three categories. First, nothing to condemn in the church. It was the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. The reason is these two, among all the seven, were the only missionary-minded churches. And the next two churches, nothing to commend. First two, nothing to condemn. The next two, nothing to commend, nothing good about them. That was Sardis and Laodicea. And the remaining three churches, they had both words of commendation and words of condemnation from the Lord. Now, in the book of Revelation, when we see the pattern of this book, there is something very interesting. You know what I say? What I mean by saying it's very interesting? God first deals with the church before he will deal with the nations and the world. You find the first chapter, the second chapter, and the third chapter, they deal with the church. And then only from the fourth chapter, God moves on to the world. You know why? Judgment must begin at the house of God. First, God deals with the church before he would deal with the world. Now, the most important truth that Jesus wanted all the churches to know was that he knew. You know, again and again, you find in the beginning of all the messages of these seven churches, you know what is the first thing? I know. I know. I know. You find in all the seven churches, this particular short sentence occurs. I know. I know. I know. And it is also summarized in the second chapter, verse 23. All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I know. So Jesus did not speak or send these letters by what he heard, but he knew. Now that's the understanding that we as a church 
even this church as the Bread of Life Fellowship, we should know that God knows all about us. That's a very vital, fundamental understanding. Now, there are some general observations when you look at these seven churches. One very sad observation is that there was a downward trend. You know how I say that? When Jesus was writing to the church in Ephesus, he said, I am the one who is in the midst of the candlesticks. Now, candlesticks means churches or lampstands. I am in the midst of the candlesticks. That's the beginning. But when you come to the seventh church, the church in Laodicea, Jesus is neither in the middle nor in the corner. He is outside. He is seeking an entrance. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. You see the downward trend. He was in the midst of the churches to begin with, and at the seventh period, he is totally out seeking an entrance. And there is another interesting observation. The message is from Christ, but the voice is of the Spirit. Once again, the message is from Christ, but the voice is of the Spirit. In all the letters, it is said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It was Christ's message, but it is conveyed by the Holy Spirit. These are all very interesting and important observations. And Jesus also expected the response to be from individuals. Even though he was addressing the church, he wanted the response to be from, an ind from individuals. You know how I say that? He says, he who has an ear. It is not those who have ears, but he who has an ear. And then he says, if anyone hears my voice, you know, that is again singular. And then in every letter, at the end of it, he says, he who overcomes to him. So you find the general message to one church is applicable to all the churches. General message to one church Jesus expected and wanted and demanded an individual response. And on the whole, there had been a downward trend. I'm just painting a picture before your mind, so you now get a wholesome overall understanding of these two chapters. Today, I want to meditate with you with a problem of the first church, that is church in Ephesus. Please turn with me. I will read that message to you. Book of Revelation, second chapter, reading from verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles, but they are not. And you have found them liars. You have preserved and you have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become tired. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This church, even the church in Ephesus, they had programs, they had projects, they had patience, they had purity of doctrine, they had perseverance, but they had lost their passion. Once again, this church in Ephesus, they had their programs, they had their projects, they had their patience, they had that purity of doctrine, they had perseverance, but they lost that person. They lost their first love. Is it possible? Yes. In the words of Apostle Paul, as we are very familiar with 1 Corinthians 13th chapter, the first three verses, I can speak in tongues without love. I can prophesy and have all understanding and knowledge without love. I can have faith, not ordinary faith, to move mountains, but still I will not have love. I can have charity, give all my goods to feed the poor. Still, I may not have love. I may even give my body to be burnt as a martyr. Still, I may not have love. Just imagine the possibility of speaking in tongues, prophesying, having tremendous, dynamic, moving, miracle-working faith, charity, liberal, lavish charity, even martyrdom, ready to be burnt, but no love. Now, this particular condemnation from the Lord, or rebuke from the Lord, should not be taken lightly. You need to be very careful about the words that I use. Some of them may be pretty too strong. Now, I didn't just want to just rebuke you, but I didn't want to dilute the message that Christ has given into the church either. You know what Jesus said? If you do not restore or regain your first love or that first passion, you know what he says? I will remove your candlestick from its place. Pretty, pretty sad. In all for the other churches, whatever he says is not so bad. But for this church, for the loss of first love, unless they would repent, he says, I will remove your church from its very locality. I'll see that it is no more there. Now then comes a question. First love, for whom or for what? Now you find that in this letter you cannot make out. Whether it is a love for God or love for someone, we, we cannot make out. It is a general word, love or passion. So as I was meditating on this passage, on my knees to bring out not a sermon, but a message to this church on this occasion, the Lord convicted me, first of all, personally in my life, about seven areas where we need to restore our love. And that's what I'm going to share with you in the remaining time that is allotted to me. Number one, love for God. Love for God. Beloved, do you know that our love for God is essentially a response? The Bible says, because he first loved us, we loved him. The initiation has been from God, 
and our love for God is only a response. And God desires to restore our early love. Turn with me to the prophecy of Hosea. A very interesting text is there. A casual reader might miss it, but here comes a very important punching message. Hosea, second chapter, verses 15 and 16. The latter portion of 15th words. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. That is the beginning of our salvation experience. And it shall be that in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. You know, when you call somebody as master, that may be love. But when you call somebody as my husband, that is more than love, it is intimacy. So what God expects from us is not a general love. What God expects from us is intimate love. Close, affectionate, lavish love. Now, that is why Jesus also told his disciples, I will not call you my servants, but I will call you my friends. You know, Jesus always wanted his disciples to come closer and closer to him and grow in their dimension of love, general love to intimacy. God remembers our love of youth and our love of our betrothal. Jeremiah the prophet laments in his second chapter, second words, my people have forsaken me. They have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me. Number two, they have made for themselves broken cisterns which cannot hold water. Now our love for God is now stolen by secondary things. Things of secondary importance. Things which really do not matter. That is why the prophets used to mourn like this in figurative language. You go to Isaiah, you know what he will say? The ox knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's crib. You go to Jeremiah, you know what he will mourn? What the stork knows, what the dove knows, what the sparrow knows, my people don't know. Now, these are all prophetic messages. We have these prophetic messages in the Bible just to open up our heart. Prophets are not general physicians. They are radical surgeons. Now, we need to understand the passion that the psalmist also had for God. You know what he said? My soul pants after God's blessings? No. After answers for prayer? No. My heart pants for God, passionately longs for God as a deer would pant for water brooks. As a deer, you watch National Geography uh, scenery sometimes, you know, they show that. These deers, they just passionately, they pant. They just give a voice because they somehow want to find some water. My soul pants like a deer. Now I have a question. Take the example of prayer. Do we pray because we love to pray or we have to pray? Do we pray because we love to pray or we have to pray? Now the Lord will be opening up our hearts tonight and he will just turn his searchlight 
towards the dark chambers of our lives, and he will bring us to where we should be naked, open, transparent before God, before whom nothing can be hidden. When Jesus was on the face of this earth, he had a passion for his Father. That's why oftentimes he will withdraw into solitary places. He will go to a desert. He will go to the wilderness. He will go to a mountain. Daytime, hectic schedule. Preaching, teaching, healing. Only time left for him. Sometimes he didn't have time for eating. The only time left for him would be the night when he was supposed to sleep after a hectic schedule during the daytime. But he would go to the mountainside. All night, he would wait before his father in prayer. Passion. Why did Jesus choose the 12 disciples? Did he choose them to preach the gospel? Did he choose them to heal the sick? Did he choose them just to cast out demons? Beloved, they are all secondary things. Preaching, healing, casting out demons, all secondary things. Why did Jesus choose the 12? My Bible says in Mark's Gospel, 3rd chapter, 14th verse, he chose the 12 to be with him and to preach and to heal. To preach and heal is second, but first, foremost, the priority to be with him. That is for this intimacy. You know what Jesus said? When you pray, enter the room. Enter the room. In the house, everybody is around. Enter your room. Enter the closet. Having entered the closet, there is another thing. Shut the door. We don't even switch off our mobile phones when we pray. Jesus said, shut the door. Enter the room. Shut the door. Then pray. We have lost our first love. How many times we woke up and answer our mobile phones during the time of prayer? It's, for not, it's not for nothing that Jesus is bringing this message to the church in Ephesus and the Bread of Life Fellowship. You have lost your first love. How much Jesus longs for our love? He asked Peter. He could have called him Peter. Because Peter is the name Jesus gave to Simon. It was Jesus who gave him the name Peter. But you know, he wanted to be very personal. So he says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? No, it's very poor English. You know, you don't need to say Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? All the three times. But that's what Jesus said. He wanted to be very personal. Very personal. Beloved, Jesus is longing for our love. That is why when Jesus went to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, what happened? Jesus was with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but only Mary was with Jesus. It's one thing to say God is with me, but it's another thing to say that I am with God. The difference is what Mary did and what the other two did. 
Try to understand it. I'm trying to bring so many examples to you so that you get the right perspective. That is why the first and the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your spirit. Nothing left. Nothing left after you just give your all to God in that passion. It's a very serious matter if we don't love God. Paul writing to Corinthians in the 16th chapter of his first epistle, 22nd verse, you know what he says? If a man does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. Shall we all sing that beautiful hymn? Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding soil. Number two, love for one another. First love for God. Number two, love for one another. Jesus said, love God with your all, and the second commandment is equal to the first commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Because it is second commandment, it does not become the secondary commandment. It is second commandment just in order, but it is of equal importance, Jesus said. I want to tell you something. The first is not possible without the second. You know, in Christian life, everything is interlinked. You can't just compartmentalize it. That is why Apostle John threw a challenge on his audience and on his readers. If you cannot love a brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? And he also added that our very proof of salvation is loving one another. You know what John wrote in 1 John 3rd chapter 14th verse? We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You see how, how definite they were in their message, in their understanding. We can't see God, but we can have God. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love our brothers, if our life allow our neighbors, God abides in us. Once again, we cannot see God, but we can have God. We can have God abiding in us by loving one another. You know, usually we love people, we embrace people. Uh, when we begin to move with them, we are very happy. But in course of time, our love grows cold. But about Jesus Christ, it is said. I just like that words. You can turn with me to the book of John 13th chapter. I don't turn to all the references for one of time, but just one or two here and there as sample passages. John 13th chapter, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the... <laughs> That's wonderful, isn't it, you know? See, to start with uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and all these people, wonderful guys, young, energetic guys, just straight from fishing, everything nice. But in course of time, you know, their, their failures, their defects in their lives, their shortcomings, and you know, everything began to surface. 
having loved them, he loved them till the end. One of the signs of the last days, Jesus very definitely said, when he was giving that discourse on Mount Olivet, because wickedness and iniquity will abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So we are in those days. Love of many waxing cold. You know, our problem is that we love people because of something good in them or something good that we receive from them. Let me tell you, beloved, that is not the biblical Christian love that Jesus is speaking about. We should not love people because of something good. We should love people in spite of something bad. Christian love is not because of love. It is an in spite of love. How do I say that? My Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is it because of love or in spite of love? While we were yet sinners. Why that word yet? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Nobody would have found fault with a statement like that in the Bible. But it says, while we were yet sinners. That means nothing that would attract God. Nothing that would impress God. Nothing that God would be happy about. Christ died for us. I like to bring that patriarch Abraham here. Two brothers, Abraham and Lot. There was a problem between their workers. And Abraham very generously, you know, he told Lot, see, we are brothers. We should not fight. I think uh, this is a message that all the churches should know. You know why we should not fight? We are brothers and sisters. <laughs> very interesting. Very simple truth. You know, Abraham, you know, he didn't study any big theology, but I think that, 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 that's the best. He said, we should not fight. Why? Because... We are brothers. That's it. That is the first and the only reason why we should not fight. We are brothers. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looks here and there, and there he sees something real lush green, like the Garden of Eden. Fellow goes there only to find that is Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes and settles there. And once he settled there, he gets into trouble. He was captivated, and what did Abraham say? You need it. He didn't say that. What did he do? He took the best of his soldiers, and he went there, rescued his brother Lot. We should clap our hands for Abraham. <laughs> because he is, he is the father of all those who believe, not without reason. What a character. My Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. In spite of love. Jesus said, love your enemies in spite of love. Now here comes a call for reconciliation restitution to all of us who are sitting here tonight. If you have got bitterness against anyone in your heart, if there is someone whom you have not forgiven, let me tell you, Jesus very categorically, he said, when you come to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has got something against you, that means you are the offender. You just go to him. Don't offer the gift. 
leave the gift. Don't offer the gift, leave the gift. First go get reconciled, then come and offer. First leave, reconcile, then offer. And in the 18th chapter, what did Jesus say? If you are the offended person, if your brother has got some, he done something against you, whether you are the offender or the offended, who should go? You should go. You who come to God should go. You who go to God in prayer should go. You who want to approach God should go. You should take the initiative. I'm not at fault. No, that's not Christian logic. Once again, whether you are the offender or the offended, you should go. Reconciliation and restitution. Love between one another and also love between spouses. Now, this is not a family conference, but still I would like to touch upon that very vital area. Love between spouses. If loving your wife is natural, if it is automatic, God need not command husbands to love your wives. It's not automatic. It's not natural. Infatuation will be there, but I'm talking about love. It's not natural. It's not automatic. Love your wives. And Apostle Paul went one step further. He, when he was writing to Titus, you know what he said? You please tell the older women to teach the younger women what? To love their husbands and their children. Come on. Older people to tell the young girls to love their husbands and their children. I remember the story. It was in a Sunday school that was taught. One granddaughter asked her grandmother, holding her finger, why grandma, your wedding ring is so thick? And the instant reply was, in our times, it is supposed to last for a lifetime. Why are, why are so many marriages breaking today? Especially when caring takes all your mind and heart and everything, this love between spouses becomes very dry. It needs to be taught. In the last days, this is one of the signs that we need to be very careful about. When you read the Sermon on the Mount next time, I give you an assignment. So many subjects Jesus dealt with. But do you know the subject that he dealt with the most, more than any other subject, is interpersonal relationships. Not without reason. Huh, not without reason. He spoke more about interpersonal relationships than about any other subject. And New Testament is full of that one another passages. Pray for one another, exhort one another, encourage one another, accept one another, forgive one another, help one another, forbear one another. So many one another passages. You can just keep counting them. And I want to tell you something which I do normally. There are some people whom I'm not able to love. And I tell Lord, Lord, I don't love them and I don't hate them either. But, you know, that's uh, play. So you know what I have been taught by my spiritual mentors? When you are not able to love a person, for whatever reason, there may be 
legitimate reasons why you are not able to love a person. If you are not able to love a person, ask God to pour out his love in your heart and enable you to love the person. Tell God openly. Don't tell God lies. Just go and tell the Lord, so-and-so, I am not able to love. Very sorry. Help me to love that person. Help me to love that person. And God would answer that prayer by pouring out his spirit of love in your heart. Thirdly, love for the Bible. First we saw love for God, next love for one another, and thirdly, love for the Bible. Now the question is not whether we read the Bible, but the question is whether we love the Bible. You know, we all know Psalm 1, and we have memorized that Psalm, and we have recited it several times. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of the scornful, but who meditates in the word of the Lord day and night. Is that right? It's not right. It's wrong. It does not say that he who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. You know what it says? He who delights and meditates. Which comes first? Delighting. First you delight in the word of the Lord, and then you meditate on the word of God. Psalm 119.97, you can note down that words. You know what the psalmist says? Now we don't know who wrote the Psalm 119, so we'll simply say the psalmist, you know what he says? Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your word. And then he says, it is my meditation all day long. First the love. And then the meditation follows. And then he says in the same psalm, verse 127, he says, I love your word more than I rejoice in pure gold. And then he says, I wake up even before the night watches to meditate on your word. I don't know how many of us have had midnight uh, um, meditation of God's word. Many times I wake up in the night, I already have my first session of sleep, 9 to 12, and then for half an hour or one hour, you know, when you wake up and you are so fresh, you are, the, the world is very quiet, nobody would call you at that time, and then you are able to really meditate God's word. I wake up before the night watches to meditate on your word. Now again a question. Do we read the Bible because we have to read the Bible or we love to read the Bible? I ask you. Do you read the Bible because you have to read the Bible or you love to read the Bible? Now, straight question needs straight answers in the presence of God. Even as you open up your eyes and you open up your hearts before God, I tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ will keep cleansing you. This is a ministry of God's word. I'm not giving a lecture, or I'm not delivering a sermon. I'm ministering unto you through the word of God. We want two great old men before us. Oh, tremendous testimony. Job. We call him Patriarch Job. You know what he says? I consider the words of your mouth more than my necessary 
food, not more than my food, more than my necessary food. That means my basic food. And you go to Jeremiah, you know what he will say? As soon as I found your word, I ate them. <laughs> I like that word. It's not just meditating. I ate them. I guffed them. And it was to my heart joy and rejoicing. But unfortunately, when you look at the story of these people of Israel, you know what happened? God gave them daily manna. To start with, they said manna is like a honey cake. But after some time, money in the, this manna was like olive oil. <laughs> what is the taste in olive oil? You want two verses? You can note them. Read them later. In Exodus 16:31, honey cake. But in Numbers 11:8, olive oil. And this is what happens to most of us. I want to ask you this very personal question: Is the Bible honey cake for you? or it has become as tasteless as the olive oil. In the last days, people would not desire the truth of God's word, the sound doctrine of God's word, but they would desire fables and stories and experiences. But we are given God's holy word as a treasure. But this deviation started in Paul's time itself. For example, when Paul was writing to the Galatian church, he says, oh, who bewitched you? Oh, you were running well. What happened? Who hindered you? Now, what hindered your life? What hindered your life from having that first love and passion for the study and meditation of God's Word? Here comes a personal question to all of you sitting here. How much time do you spend every day in Bible meditation? You. I'm talking about you. I'm not saying how much time we spend. No, that won't work. How much time do you spend on the average every day in pure Bible meditation. You keep the Bible in smartphone. I'm not against it, but when a call comes and SMS comes, immediately you get able to do it. And the worldly company also kills our love and passion for God's Word. That is why the Bible says, He who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, Stands not in the way of sinners, sits not in the seat of the scornful, but delights in the word of the Lord. You know, something has to be first avoided. You know, the company of worldlings, if you have found in that company for too long, getting immersed in their outlook, the love for God's word will be killed in course of time. Not only the psalmist, prophet Jeremiah says, as soon as I found your words, I ate them. And he says, I did not sit with mockers. So these are all consistent truths that we have in God's word. Now I want to give you a warning before I move to point number four. If you do not love God's word and its truth, God will send a strong delusion into your life and you will begin to believe lies. 
Fourthly, love for holiness. Love for holiness. We often sing, holy, holy, holy. Yeah, that's the Trinitarian holiness. God the Father is holy, God the Son is holy, and God the Holy Spirit is holy. And Jesus Christ is the practical pattern for holy living. You all know that. You know, in the book of Leviticus, there is something very interesting. You know, you read the entire book of Leviticus, the theme of the book of Leviticus is holiness. You know what it says? Be holy. <laughs> I often used to wonder, God sitting in heaven telling me to be holy on this sinful earth. You come down and see how difficult it is. He answered my cry. He said, be holy as I am holy. He sent his son. Oh, you came from heaven, so you can live holy. I come, I come from a sinful womb. How can I be holy? Don't worry. I'll send the Holy Spirit. I'll make you holy. God the Father says, be holy. God the Son says, be holy as I am holy. And God the Holy Spirit says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Hallelujah. Amen. The Trinitarian God is not only interested in our holiness, but he supplies us and equips us and gives us all that is necessary for practical holy living. But how did Jesus Christ live holy? You know what is told about him? What was the secret? Shall I tell you what? He loved righteousness. That is why he could live righteously. That's important. He loved it. If you want to be holy, you should have a passion for holiness. And no holiness is possible without it. That's why Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, when he was giving the beatitude, you know what he said? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. <laughs> you know, that love for righteousness, I must, first of all, love to be holy. If I have to live holy. You know, in the early days of our life, we used to keep our conscience very sharp. But nowadays, we argue with our conscience and make it blunt. 101 reasons we give because our knowledge is puffed up. Those days, we used to deeply grieve over our sins and failures. But now we just lighten them. Those days we ran away from sin. First love for holiness. But now we play with sin. Beloved, let me warn you. First, you resist the Holy Spirit. Keep on resisting the Holy Spirit. At one point of time, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. You will keep on grieving the Holy Spirit. At one point of time, you will quench the Holy Spirit. In many of our lives, the Holy Spirit is still resident, but he is quenched. The Holy Spirit does not make shunting trips. Every time you commit sin, then he gets away and then comes back. Not like that. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Praise God for that. That's his mercy. But he is grieved and he is quenched and pushed to a corner. He's quenched. You have silenced him. Is the Holy Spirit silent in your life? What sin the Holy Spirit convicted very deeply at the beginning of your Christian life? 
but now you find that you are able to very carelessly move around, that's because you have already quenched the Holy Spirit in your life. This is how it happens in stages. You take a frog, throw it into hot water, it will immediately jump out. But keep it in a cold water bath and keep on slowly heating it. It will feel more and more comfortable until it dies. Now that's what happens. What did uh, the psalmist say? First, he who walks. Then he who stands. Then he who sits. This is how it happens. First, a little bit of walking just to see what it is. And then standing and having a closer look. And thirdly, you sit there. You are able to see how it just goes in stages. Backsliding is always in stages. Many people backslide outside the church, and still more people backslide inside the church. We have more backsliders inside the church than outside. Some backsliding is apparent. Many backsliding is not apparent, but it is still there. Do you belong to that group? We have to grow in holiness if we have to maintain that passion for holiness. In the first chapter of Job, God says, there is no one righteous and upright like my servant Job on all the face of the earth. God's certificate. Not the writer of the book of Job. God's certificate. But when you come to the end of the book of Job, you know what Job says. Yeah, earlier, I have heard about God with my ears. Now my eyes see him. So I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is growth in holiness. If God already has certified about a man, there is no one so righteous and upright like him in all the face of the earth. But towards the end of that book, that man says, I abhor myself because I am growing in holiness. He who is holy, let him be holier still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. Beloved, many of us are going through a very difficult phase in our ways. For people, we go through three stages. One stage is salvation, next stage of uh, satisfaction, and third stage, stagnation. And most of us are in the third stage because we have stopped growing. There is a glorious promise that is given in book of Proverbs. Please turn with me to fourth chapter of book of Proverbs and 18th verse. Proverbs 4.18, beautiful promise that's given to us. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. <laughs> you know, it's like a sun, morning sun. It rises and it becomes brighter and brighter and brighter. And at the coming of the Lord, it will reach its zenith at full brightness. Whom he has justified, he has also glorified. So justification is God's work. Glorification is God's work. In between, there is sanctification. That's our responsibility. I'm teaching a little bit of theology for you. Justification, God's word. Whom he has justified, he has also glorified. But we need to sanctify ourselves in between. That's why that hymnologist, Dr. Edwin Orr, 
a great revivalist. He sang, join me. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. Some wicked way in me, cleanse me from every sin and set me Love for God's servants. Love for God's servants. Beloved, immediately after our rebirth, we esteem God's servants very highly. For example, there was Lydia. She was a seller of the purple. And God opened her heart to receive the gospel. And you know what the Bible says? She constrained the apostles to stay with her, saying, if you have found me faithful in the Lord, come and stay with us. So usually, following salvation, we love God's servants. We just respect them. We revere them. We want to give them a due honor. We do that. But in course of time, follow me carefully. Very delicate point I'm dealing with. But in course of time, when we move closely with the servants of God, or when servants of God move very closely with us, their shortcomings begin to surface. We begin to see that. And slowly, we don't love them as we used to love them once. But we need to understand, God's servants are not angels. They are also perfect human beings. You know why I say that? Even a prophet like Elijah, my Bible says, Elijah was a man like us. And he had all the passions that we have. I, I'm encouraged by that. Not for an excuse, but as a challenge. But the love of Galatian believers, Paul mourns, began to dwindle. Huh. You know what he said? Oh, Galatian believers, in the beginning when I came to you, you received me as an angel. If I had asked you for your eyes, you would have plucked your eyes, you have given it to me. Huh. But now what happened? I have become your enemy. See, in course of time, you know, once I was an angel to you and you would have even uh, given your eyes to me, but now I have become an enemy to you because there is something that I told you which you didn't like. Hmm? I told you the truth and I become an enemy. And he says, 
the more I love you, <laughs> the less I am loved. But I'll continue to love you. I'll continue to spend for you, and I'll continue to be spent for you also. Now, God's will for us is that we respect God's servants. Now, I'm not going to discuss here whether God, when you say God's servants should there be full-timers or they need not be full-timers. That's not the point that I'm trying to discuss here. But you know who is God's servant. Whether they are full-time or not, God's servants. They have a special calling and they have a special assignment that is given to them. And God told even the Old Testament people, as long as you are in the land, you love and honor the Levite. As long as you are in the land. You know, that phrase is important. It's not that once you are very high and then you just go. No, as long as you are in the land. You know, we are talking about everything first love. First love. So as long as you are in the land, you love and honor the Levite. I like Prophet Elijah. There was famine. God sent him to a widow of Saripath. And she was gathering some sticks to, break, uh, to bake some bread for her and her son and to die because that's all they had. And what did Elijah say? Go make a cake and bring the first cake to me. Now these are all biblical principles, beloved. These are eternal principles which never change. That is why Apostle Paul, while writing to Galatian believers, he said, He who is taught in the word of God must honor those who teach the word. And those who teach the word must be considered worthy of double honor. God's eternal principles. And then he went on to say, let us not become tired in doing good. To start with, very enthusiastic, exuberant. Let us not become tired in doing good. But if you are faithful till the end, we shall reap in due season. Sixthly, Love for the lost souls. Love for the lost souls. I told you at the beginning of my talk that only two churches were not rebuked. One was Smyrna and the other was Philadelphia. And both were missionary minded. In the Smyrna church, there was a talk about uh, martyrdom, faithful unto death. And in Philadelphia church, open door. So both were missionary minded churches. You know, following our rebirth, our salvation, we were so enthusiastic and excited to share the gospel with people, isn't it? Just like, uh, you know, Andrew uh, tells Peter, and Andrew and Peter tell Philip, and then Philip tells Nathaniel. You know, that chain was there in our early life, isn't it? Every day we'll try to speak to somebody. You know, those days we used to uh, wear some buttons, the burgers, Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says. now it's out of uh, fashion. Maybe it is out of fashion, but that should not just throw away our passion for souls. Passion for souls. I like John 3.16. You know why? There, all the four dimensions of God's love are given there. 
My Bible says, God so loved the world, the breadth of God's love, that he gave his only begotten son the depth of God's love, that whoever believes on him, the length of God's love, should not perish but have eternal life, the height of God's love. And when Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers, he says that with all the saints, you learn the breadth and the width and the height and the length of God's love. So John 3.16, it embodies all the four dimensions of God's love towards souls. And what did Paul say when he was writing to the Corinthians? He said, the love of God constrains us so, as ambassadors for Christ, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Understand? Love. The love of God constrains us, so as ambassadors, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Is that fire there in your heart? Is that fire of soul waiting still burning in your heart? It is very natural, beloved, in course of time that we lose interest. That's why that preacher wrote in his book of Ecclesiastes, you know what he said? In the morning sow your seed. When evening comes, it is very natural that you become tired and your hands begin to hang down. No. In the morning sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. Give a serving to seven. I have given to seven people. Perfect. Give to the eighth person also. Give a serving to seven and give to the eighth person also. Never ever stop. Keep giving, giving, giving. And the psalmist says, because people are not keeping your law, tears run down like rivers from my eyes. And Apostle Paul said, while writing to the Romans, I have great sorrow and continuous grief in my heart that Israel might be saved. How many of us are really praying with tears for the salvation of our beloved friends, the natives of Oman? They are physically blessing us and we, we are responsible. They are materially blessing us and we are responsible to spiritually bless them. Once again, let me say that. Most of us are here to reap the material blessings of this land, of these people. How many of us are in turn giving them our spiritual blessings, at least by weeping in secret for their salvation? You know, one of the saints of old, you know what he said? If you don't weep for your souls and for your neighbors, I will weep for you. If I love God, I must love for those whom Christ died. I would like to quote William Booth, that founder of Salvation Army here. You know what he said? Some people would like to live within the uh, sound of the church bell, but I would like to run a rescue shop at the gate of hell. Ha! William Booth. Try tears for this land. Your tears in prayer will save this land. Amen. Will save this land. It is possible. Otherwise, why should God bring you here? We keep on saying, wherever you lay your foot, that land I will give you. What's happening? Of course, only the, our car tires are placing their 
uh, impressions, whatever it is, we are just moving to the length and breadth and width of this country. Should not God bless this country? Should not God bless this country? And are we not responsible for the blessing of this nation? Are we not responsible directly for the salvation of this nation? If we are not responsible, then who? And if this nation will not be saved now, then when? I want you to sing this beautiful hymn with me. Must I go an empty hand? Must I go an empty hand? Thus, my dear Redeemer, me. Not one day of service give him. Lay no trophy at his feet. You know what a what, what a hymn. Must I go empty-handed when I'm going to meet my Savior and my Redeemer? Seventhly and lastly, love for Christ's return. Love for Christ's return. You know, the return of Christ was the longing of the Old Testament saints itself. I don't know whether you are aware of it. One of the oldest saints of the Old Testament is Job, right? What did he say? I know my Redeemer lives after my skin is destroyed, I will see him. Not someone else's eye, but my own eyes will see him. With this yearning, with this yearning, there's deep yearning. So even Job was waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will stand on the face of the earth. You know, if we love somebody, we will love to see that somebody, isn't it? That is why, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, we call the love chapter. It is in that love chapter, we have a statement. Now we see dimly through a mirror, but then face to face. <laughs> it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, that particular words comes that we'll see him face to face. That's why the early disciples only met with each other greeted one another, not saying praise the Lord, but they greeted one another saying, Maranatha. Everybody say Maranatha. Maranatha. The Lord is coming because they were living eagerly expecting the Lord's return. Anytime, any moment. When they got up in the morning, they said, maybe today. And when they went to bed in the night, they said, maybe tonight. In the morning, maybe today. In the night, maybe tonight. That's how they lived. And Apostle Paul said, the Lord of righteousness will give me the crown of righteousness on that day. Not only to me, but all those who love his appearing. <laughs> you know, loving the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just longing for it. And about the Philippian believers, you know what he said, our citizenship is in heaven. From where we are eagerly waiting for his son to come eagerly waiting. You know, in all these places you find that love element is beautifully brought out. The whole creation is suffering and groaning with birth pangs and pain for the Lord to be revealed. At that time, the salvation will be complete. We all need, we need that. You know, salvation is in three stances. Salvation past, salvation present, and salvation future. Salvation past, 
deliverance from the penalty of sin. Salvation present, deliverance from the power of sin. Salvation future, deliverance from the very presence of sin. Salvation past, justification. Salvation present, sanctification. Salvation future, glorification. You know, this is all going to be completed. That's why he said, for those who are waiting for him, he will appear the second time without sin for salvation. That is salvation complete. You know, we are all looking forward to that. That, that, that eager waiting. Anytime Christ may come. If we don't maintain that spirit, we will unconsciously join the scoffers of this world and we would say, why is the promise of his coming? Things are like that from the beginning. This is what our fathers were telling and grandfathers were foretelling. Unconsciously, we'll join the group of these scoffers. Shall I tell you something? In this Bible, about the first coming of Christ, there are only 100 prophecies. But about the second coming, there are 300 prophecies. One is to three, mind you. The last promise in the Bible says, Behold, I come quickly. And the last prayer is, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Shall we all stand in the presence of God? All eyes closed and heads bowed down. Hearts lifted up. First love. Here has come a call to all of us. A call has come to all of us from the Lord of the church. Love the Lord wholeheartedly. Love one another fervently. Love God's word delightfully. Love holiness diligently. Love God's servants gratefully. Love souls compassionately. Love Christ's return expectantly. It's not easy. It is a struggle to maintain this first love. That's why it says, he who overcomes. The Lord will enable us to regain our first love if we follow these principles and exhortations we received this night. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Help us, O oh God, to restore and regain the first love in our lives, in our personal lives, in our family, in our church, in our society. So our candlestick will not be removed, but it will continue to shine for you and to glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Let's give a mighty clap offering to the Lord. As we are blessed, we acknowledge the presence of God is in our midst. We accept the word of God, what God has spoken to us through his servant. And we believe the word of God, click clapping. When I say if you believe it, click clapping. We accept it. We believe it. That's why we are clapping to the Lord. And we are going to obey it. 
We are going to obey the Lord. We are going to follow the principles of why we should love, how we should love, whom to love. God has spoken to each and every one of us through our hearts. Whatever you believe, you are clapping, proves that, or it's a sign that you are believing it. You are going to follow it up. That will lead you to live your victorious Christian living. And it shows that you accept the first love of Christ. We love him because he has loved us. Amen? Amen? We thank God for the wonderful way God has spoken through his servant. Thank you, Anand, for a wonderful word. And now, before we close, one question. Is there anyone who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Can I see your hands? Who do not know or accept Christ in your life? Now it's a time for you to know. Can I see your hands? Jesus Christ is the Savior. There is no one. Salvation is only through him. We know the Lord, the love of God, only through his son Jesus Christ. There is no other way. If you want to know the love of God, how God loves you, why God loves you, you should know the Savior, his son, only son Jesus Christ. Do you want to know him? If you do not know. Can I see your hands? Thank you. Please stand to your feet. Let's close our eyes. Please stand to your feet. All of you. We have to thank God for God's word, what God has been speaking to us. Close your eyes. Remember what God has spoken to you from which area. We know about love. We heard about love and how much we love God. How much we love one another. How much we love the word, his word, the Bible. How far we love holiness in our life. And how far the love for God's servant in us. And how far we love the souls. And how far we love for Christ's wisdom. These are all the challenges we have to carry. We have to meditate. Tonight, it should remind you our hearts. You know by yourself, man can see a person's face, but God sees each and every one of our hearts. Today, if God has spoken to you, if you have failed in any of this area, now is the time for you to repent before him. To know and prove the love of Christ. Can I confess before him? From your heart to the Lord. You know by yourself, I'm not here to condemn or search your heart. God knows you as you know him.
Now is the time to confess before him. Repent. So that God will bless you. God can lead you. Teach you. And guide you. And keep you as a victorious Christian. As a living witness. In this part of this world. So that people could see Christ through your life. We are waiting for the glorious return of our Christ. Let's pray. Our most loving, very gracious Father, we praise you and we thank you for the wonderful time that you given to us to come at your feet to hear your word through your servant. Lord, how wonderfully, beautifully you brought us, brought your word to us in this day. Lord, all of us, one way or the other, or one thing or the other, we failed. We accept, we confess before you. Lord, accept our prayers, forgive our sins. Lord, you are the one who keeps us holy. You are, because through your Son, Jesus Christ, we are, you consider us as righteous, not with our own righteousness. Lord, today we pray, give us your grace. Lord, today we pray, bless us to love you understand your love and also love one another. Lord, in the days to come, we are not the same as we are today. Tomorrow, we, are not the, we will not be the same as we are today, O oh Father. Today, we back home, return our home, taking the message what you have spoken to us. We will repent before you and we'll refresh ourselves and come at your presence rejoicingly to glorify your name as you are with us, O oh Father. We thank you once again for accepting our prayers. Thank you for each and every one of us who present in this hall. Lord, we have a desire to hear your word. That's why we are here. None of us are here by accident or by incidents. It's our the privilege, it's our your divine plan and purpose. Let your purpose be fulfilled in every one of us, love your Father. As we are going to return, Lord, let your presence go with us. Let the peace which you promise prevail in each and every one of our life. In the most highly exalted name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer. Let us share the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. May God bless you all.